who has been um, trying to reach out to the people in her life, trying to build relationships with them so that she can share the good news. Did I turn this on? I did not. She's trying to um, share the the good news and the blessings of of Jesus with with people. And she's also been trying to seek as she does that to, to grow in listening to God's voice and letting God guide her steps. And so from time to time, she'll pray something like this. Um, God, who should I be reaching out to this week and how should I be doing it? And recently she was making some dinner plans. She was thinking about who she might invite over. And one young mom came to her mind whom she'd gotten to know a bit and who had kids the same age as her kids. But as she asked God about this person, she just had the sense that she shouldn't invite her. And she didn't know why, but but she felt it in her gut that God was saying no, and so she didn't invite her. In fact, she wound up scrapping these dinner plans she'd been making, and uh, instead she spent the afternoon that she would have spent preparing taking her kids to the park. And you'll never believe who does she run to into at the park but this mom and her kids. And they wind up hanging out all afternoon, having a great time, and then afterwards, the mom invites her and her kids back to her place for dinner. And it wound up being a great time. It took their relationship deeper. And afterwards, my friend realized, I see God. I had been taking all the initiative with this person. And now it was important that she had a chance to reciprocate and to serve me and invite me into her home. So let me state the obvious. God knows what he's doing. When it comes to God's mission, God's purpose is to save this world, to to reach out to people in love, to invite them back into relationship with God. God knows what God's doing. It's obvious, but we don't always live that way, do we? Often we we try to do things for God. We've got a plan. We think we know best, and so we charge ahead. At least I have a tendency to do that. And I'm sure God values our intentions and and our efforts. But God would even more like us to participate in what he's doing in such a way that we're open and eager to let God guide us. So I suggest that as we go about our days and as we seek to, to let God use us and guide us in his plans and his purposes, that we remember that road sign, which we can put up now, that you sometimes see, Stay alert, curve ahead. Because from time to time, God will throw a curve into our path like he did for my friend, working in ways we don't expect. And we would do well to stay alert because God knows what God's doing. Well, today, as we we continue reading this this story, as we read the adventures of Philip, we, we have a very dramatic example of of this. When we left Philip off last week, he was, um, I can imagine, enjoying the time of his life. Do you remember, if you were here last week, 
Philip was down in Samaria telling everyone there about Jesus. And God had given Philip the power to heal people, to cast out evil spirits, to do other astounding miracles. So much so that crowds of people were hanging on Philip's every word. They were turning to Jesus Christ. They were changing their lives. They were choosing to follow Christ. They were getting baptized. Even Simon the sorcerer, this notorious, powerful, famous personality in that city had converted and been baptized and was following Philip around in awe of what God was doing through Philip. And then the apostles Peter and John had come down and they had laid hands on those that Philip had led to Christ. And and the people were filled with the Holy Spirit in a manner so wonderful that Simon the sorcerer was envious of this power to give the Spirit. And there was great joy in that city, Luke tells us. Can you imagine this? What a ministry success. What encouragement. What excitement and fulfillment. God was present. God was on the move. Great things were happening. Which makes what God says to Philip next so hard to hear. In fact, I suspect God knew it would be hard for Philip to hear, which is why God didn't whisper it into Philip's ear, but instead actually sent a real live angel to get in Philip's face, so to speak, and deliver this message. Philip, go down to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip, leave here. Leave this this revival, this sweet and powerful time and go to a lonely road out in the wilderness. What, God? Really? Are you serious? They need me here. I'm doing a great work for you here. Go out alone toward the desert? Would you have obeyed? Easily? Well, Philip does. We don't know if it's easily, but he went, and he probably has no idea why. God hasn't given him any details. As so often, God doesn't tell us more than we need to know to take the next step. God just says, do this. Trust me. Do what I tell you, and when you need to know more, I'll let you know more. And so Philip is is walking along this desert road, And then after a while, a traveler comes down the road. He's a foreigner. He's a diplomat, in fact. A high official in charge of the the treasury, the finances of a kingdom, of a queen, the queen of the Ethiopians, or so they were called back then. Today they are uh, from a region that we call Sudan. And, And these peoples were famous back then at that time, for being exotic, for being from far off beyond the Roman Empire, and for being a significant kingdom out there somewhere on the edges of the world. And and so this is a very notable traveler. To put this in modern terms, picture a stretched black limo with diplomatic plates, and and maybe a few chase cars for security. And, And this man, is, he's foreign, he's exotic, he's also wealthy and powerful. When you picture the chariot that he's, he's riding in back then, don't picture the small uh, horse-drawn chariots you know, that you see in a movie like Gladiator for one or two soldiers that they used in battle. Picture instead a traveling chariot. There were different kinds of chariots. This would have been a traveling chariot, more like a luxurious carriage in this man's case 
maybe pulled by horses or maybe pulled by oxen. And picture that it's big enough for a driver, for at least one other servant and attendant, because a man like this wouldn't travel without at least one staff. And and picture this high-level official with enough room, enough elbow room, that he's got a scroll rolled out and he's reading it. Picture also he's got room to spare for a guest who we'll see in a minute, Philip. So so think of Philip. He's watching this go by. What would you do if you're nobody special and a VIP like this rolls by? Especially if you're dusty and you're sweaty because you've been walking along a desert road. You stay out of the way, right? You stand at a distance and you watch, impressed. But, but Philip now hears from God again. He, he gets his next instructions. The, the Spirit this time tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Really, God? <laughs> this official is not the kind of person I'm expecting you to bring my way. He's not my type. In fact, he's intimidating. I don't want to impose. I'm really not worthy. What if they rebuke me? But Philip again obeys the Spirit's voice. Strange as it may seem, he he runs up beside the chariot. And, And then as he gets close, it starts to become clear why. He he realizes why he's been sent there. Because what does he hear but but this foreigner from far, far away reading Philip's own Jewish scriptures. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah out loud. That's how people always read back then. And this is what Philip hears, the official reading. He was led like a lamb, or sorry, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And now Philip doesn't need to be told what to do. <laughs> he, he does what is always a good idea to do when you want to engage someone in a spiritual conversation. He asks an honest question. Do you understand what you're reading? Notice that. In in fact, notice two things that Philip does, actually. First, he listens. He doesn't speak first. He listens. He listens to what's going on with this man, to where this man is at. And then he asks him a question about it. Second, do you understand what you're reading? We would do well to learn these skills uh, from Philip before we speak, to, to listen first, and then to ask honest questions to better understand who we're talking to and where they're at. Because when, when we start right in with talking, we wind up answering questions the person isn't asking. Well, Philip listens, Philip probes, he asks a question. And the official replies to Philip, no, how can I understand what I'm reading unless someone explains it to me? And so notice the result of listening first and asking a question is Philip gets invited in closer. The man invites Philip up into the chariot. And beginning with that text, Philip tells the official all about Jesus. Beginning with that text. Beginning with where the man is at. And evidently the man's heart was, was already 
has already been prepared by God because he believes, as Philip shares with him, he, he wants to follow Jesus. And when they come across some water, which perhaps surprised both of them in the desert, they stop and Philip baptizes this stranger, welcoming him into a relationship with Jesus and into the kingdom of God. What an amazing story, right? (laughs) Imagine what it must have been like for Philip. Imagine also what it would have been like for the Ethiopian. In fact, let's, let's think what it must have been like to hear the Ethiopian tell the story. He, he might begin with, it was a day I will never forget. I was on my way back from Jerusalem. That, that pilgrimage had been my lifelong dream come true. To travel all the way from my country to Jerusalem to worship the God of the Jewish people. I had learned about their God in my own country from the Jewish exiles who had settled there. I found their God attractive, and I wanted to know him as my own. But being a eunuch, I was not permitted to convert to Judaism. As their scriptures say in Deuteronomy 23.1, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Still, I wanted to go to Jerusalem. I wanted to visit the house of the Lord, even if I was not welcome in, even if I could only worship from the edges. And now I had had that privilege to do so, and what a time it was. And what good fortune I had to obtain to bring home with me my very own copy of the scroll of Isaiah. It cost me a great deal of money, but what a blessing to read it. Uh, Let me tell you my favorite part. Isaiah 56. Let no foreigner... Who is bound to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain I am only a dry tree for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Oh, how I longed for that day. That day when I would be invited into God's house and God's family and have an everlasting name there better than sons and daughters. But when would it come? Would I live to see it? And how would it happen? As I rolled home from Jerusalem, reading a few chapters back in Isaiah 53, I had no idea just how soon it would happen but at that moment as i read isaiah 53 instead of being hopeful i just felt confused and perplexed if you've ever read this part of isaiah about the servant of the lord who would bring god's salvation you know it's hopeless to understand who is this servant in several places it sounds like the servant is israel but then in others it sounds like 
Israel has failed, and so the servant is only a faithful remnant of Israel. But then as you keep reading, the servant actually saves Israel, so it seems like Israel is not the servant at all. So who is the servant? It's also confusing. I couldn't make sense of it. Imagine my surprise then, when at this very moment, a Jewish man comes running up to my chariot, asking if I understand what I'm reading. No, I don't. I need a guide. Will you come and help? And so he joined me and he explained it to me. He explained who the servant was. The one who was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The one I learned who was willing to give his life like a silent lamb about to be sacrificed. The one who gave his life for our salvation so that we could be welcomed in. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? Who can speak of his descendants? Who can speak of mine eunuch that I am? He, like me, had his future taken away. His ability to maintain his name through descendants. He had it taken away. No, he gave it up to serve those he loved. And Philip taught me that he loved me. That he came not only for the Jewish people, but for me. To the eunuchs who choose what pleases him. Or, sorry, to the eunuchs who choose what pleases me, the Lord says. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. So through Jesus, I was no longer excluded, no longer kept on the edges of Judaism. I was now welcomed in. I could have a place in God's family, a place in God's house, a seat at God's table because of what Jesus had done. And the best part was God had made Jesus alive again. And Jesus was throwing, Philip told me, the doors wide open to God's house so that we from all nations could come in. That's why when I saw water, I said, what's to prevent me from being baptized? I want to be a part of God's people, Jesus' people. And so Philip baptized me. And then after we came up out of the water, there was a stirring, a rushing of wind, and he was gone. Just like that. Disappeared. The messenger of good news God had sent me. God took him away just as quickly as he'd come. But I went on my way rejoicing. My heart full, full of joy, full of Jesus. This trip to Jerusalem had been far better than I had ever imagined. Wait till I got home and told my people what God had done for the whole world in Jerusalem through Jesus. And so, though the Ethiopian eunuch, or through the Ethiopian eunuch, we see the first glimpse of the good news about Jesus going out not just to Jerusalem, not just to Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. And and Philip got to be used to make it happen. It it was easy. The, The eunuch was spiritually hungry. He was actually reading a prophecy about Jesus. All Philip had to do was connect the dots for him. The only hard part for Philip was choosing to listen in the first place. Choosing to obey God's voice. 
even when what God had told them to do seemed to make no sense, I'm sure, to Philip at the time. Just like it didn't make sense to my friend at the time to not invite the young mom over. Why is it hard to let God lead us? Because we forget. We forget that God knows what God's doing. When it comes to God's mission to to save the world, to reach out to people in love, and to invite them back into a relationship with God, God knows what he's doing. And, And so we've got to learn to stay alert. Because God's not afraid to throw a curve in the road from time to time. In fact, notice four curves that God throws in the road of Philip. Four ways that God deviates from the expected plan. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that these are four common sense rules that God breaks when it comes to outreach and ministry. Here's the first one. Rule number one, don't move someone when they're enjoying success, right? Don't ruin a good thing. Philip is in Samaria. He's enjoying wild success. He's no doubt got plenty to do there to teach, to shepherd, to disciple all these new followers of Jesus. Philip's set up with a job to do. It's going great. Why would we move him? But God says, no, I'm moving him. I've got other things for him to do. So question, curve in the road. Does God know best? And then second common sense rule. Connect with people like yourself who have something in common with you so you can relate to them. But God says to Philip, no, I'm breaking that rule too. Go talk to that exotic, powerful, high-level Ethiopian VIP. Curve in the road. Does God know best? Then third common sense rule. Come up with a good strategy and stick to it. Faithfully work the plan. Right? I mean, this plan was even the plan that Jesus had come up with. Remember Acts 1.8? We, we keep repeating it. Jesus tells his followers, You will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Jesus' plan. And Philip's following the plan. Remember that the mission of Jesus had begun in Jerusalem, and, and Philip had been the one then to boldly break new ground and push the frontier into Samaria. But then God sends Philip off to the desert to someone who's not a Judean or a Samarian, but an Ethiopian, one of those ends of the earth people. That's supposed to come later. Wait, God, that's not part of the plan. You're jumping ahead. We're still trying to get a handle on Samaria here. But God says, no, I'm throwing in someone from the ends of the earth early. We're going to get a head start on that. Another curve in the road. I think what God is doing here is making sure we don't make an idol of the plan, of the strategy, and follow it instead of following God. Because it's easy for us to do that. I know it is for me. But does God know best? And then the fourth common sense rule for outreach and ministry, I love this one. No making people fly. Right? Right? No levitation. People are not supposed to fly. And yet God's spirit literally picks Philip up and flies him off. 
he actually flies crazy. Again, curve in the road. Does God know best? Well, then the Spirit of God puts Philip down somewhere else in Judea, and Philip goes back to what he's supposed to be doing according to the plan, talking to people about Jesus all around Samaria and Judea. Incidentally, Philip's not the only person in the Bible to fly. Ezekiel flies, Elijah flies. They both get picked up by the Spirit of the Lord and carried off to other places, which suggests that Philip is not only an evangelist, but he's, he's functioning as a prophet here, getting carried around by the Spirit. What a guy. <laughs> Philip's got the awareness, the sensitivity to hear God's voice, to recognize those curves in the road, and to take them, to obey God's direction. Philip believes that God knows best. And we see the results. God takes Philip places he probably never dreamed he would go. So how about us? I can't promise you that you'll fly. Who knows? But is there something God's been nudging you about which you've been ignoring because it's not logical or it's not what you expect or what you want? Maybe it's a curve in the road that God has put there. And so question, does God know what God's doing? And and if you're hesitating to obey, are you sure you're not missing out on what could be if you do? Why not go for it? So as Sarah comes and we prepare to respond, singing this next song, I want to invite you to, to pray and think If there is something God's nudging you to do, think about what God might be saying to you. And uh, ask yourself whether God knows what God's doing.